0: Hello and thanks for tuning in to this episode of the ALT Learn podcast. I'm John Tate and I'll be your host as we break down the craft of teaching and the science of learning, what this pedagogy looks like in the classroom, and get to find out how our teachers are turning all this theory into practice. So, let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome to episode eight of the ALT Learn podcast, where as it's the start of a new academic year, we're going to focus our attention on establishing and positively reinforcing classroom routines. So I'm pleased to say that alongside me on today's show, we have Joe Bainbridge, Head of Religious Studies at North Allerton School. A warm welcome to the podcast, Joe, and thank you so much for being my first guest of the new school year.
1: Thank you for inviting me along, John. Really looking forward to having these conversations.
0: Brilliant. Now, listeners won't know this, but this is our this is actually the first podcast that I've done actually in person because of lockdown. They've all normally been via Zoom, but we're actually sat in a classroom in a school, talking about teacher learning, which actually feels quite novel at the moment, you know.
1: Yeah, and it's a nice new classroom as well on our new site, so very exciting.
0: Absolutely. Right. So we've we've chosen this topic um, because it's at the start of the academic year. We want to make sure that, and, and obviously one of our professional learning focuses is kind of behaviour and expectations. So we really want to kick off, um, you know, our, our podcast this year with something like this. So, as you know, um, you know, I've got a series of questions I'm going to ask you, uh, and it's going to be great for our listeners to kind of really get an insight into. I suppose the routines and expectations that you have as a classroom practitioner, but also what they can learn from and they can take in, in their own classroom. So, first question really is, I suppose, why are routines so important in your classroom?
1: I think they're really important for lots of different reasons. And if we think about a lot of the studies that we can look into and the research done, that routines help students learn. So not only do they help our classroom management and give us a good classroom environment, they're beneficial for all students, particularly those that we're really working on as a trust this year. So disadvantaged boys and SEND. If students know what to expect when they come into your classroom, they know how to behave, expectations are high, and it just gives them that level of security for them to really learn, push themselves, and feel comfortable and confident in your classroom.
0: Fantastic. And when you said, just touching on where you said, that they help students learn is it is it is it that kind of sense of security and that kind of and that understanding of I suppose we're all creatures of habit and we like to kind of know what's happening Is, is that what you mean by that
1: absolutely students dislike change as much as we do as teachers so when they know when they come into your classroom what to expect where the boundaries are they will follow them they'll do better and that helps them feel that security and confidence to do better in lessons
0: right so I'm listening to this I've taken it on board I understand that it's really important. It helps students learn. It helps them have routines. All those types of things, great. But actually, as a as a someone who wants to kind of establish these things, then how do you go about, or how would you give someone some advice to go about kind of establishing a new routine or something that you really wanted to nail at the start of the year?
1: My key is always to model it. So teach it to students. Students might have a general idea as to what's expected. But teach it to them. The first lesson, I don't necessarily stand with the rules of the classroom on the board because I'm well aware they've probably had those in primary school. They've had those in other things. They know the general expectations. So I get straight into it. I have them lined up outside. I tell them that when they come into the classroom to get their reading books out, to sit and read for five minutes in silence, they'll come in, I'll pick up on people doing it correctly and show that they're doing it right so other people can see that modelled behaviour around them. Then whenever I'm expecting them to do anything else, which is one of my classroom routines, I'll do the routine, then I'll explain who's done it well and what I expected from them. So it's all about the modelling, the teaching, the praising, being a bit over the top to start with, particularly with that praise, but actually the more they do it, the better they're going to get at it. It's all about practice, practice, practice.
0: Fantastic. And you mentioned there about physically teaching it, I suppose, just like teaching a, a bit of content or a skill or anything like that we shouldn't then expect our students to be to already know these things and actually it's about us as teachers having to teach it that's right
1: absolutely teaching it is key just like we're going to teach them anything else we wouldn't expect them to walk in knowing our subject so teach them how to behave in your classroom
0: fantastic right so we've started to model it we've started to kind of establish it we know what it is but like a lot of things and you know we'll all anyone listening to this will know that you know the we set off with the best intentions. We always set off in September or January or whenever it is that we're going to do this, 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 and this. But as we start to creep towards October half term, as we start to get um, the weather starts to change, dark nights a bit colder, people get tired, things inevitably start to kind of you know fall off the radar, that kind of stuff. So, what would you say would be your top tips for how you make things stick and how you kind of uh, reinforce routines so that they become? Completely automated and a routine, so that actually, irrespective of whether it's October, January, July, we're still as strong as we were in the first week in September.
1: That's where those first few weeks in September are absolutely vital. Though, how do you go in September? The more it's going to stick, and it will just take those little tweaks throughout the year. So, the first three or four weeks, those three or four lessons with those classes, you don't let up. You've just got to keep going, keep emphasising, keep teaching, keep modelling those routines. And you'll find it starts to get easier classes learn pretty quickly and because they like the comfort of the routine they fall into them easier there will be p- classes that you have to remind all year but the majority are going to fall into those routines and make your life easier as the year goes on and come october december time we all need that
0: absolutely so i suppose the message there is the more you put in the more you're going to get get out of it isn't it
1: absolutely it pays off for you in the end by keeping on them at the start
0: brilliant and obviously if everyone's doing this around the school, and it's not just you that's doing it, everyone's reinforcing either similar or um, similar routines or, or the same expectations and standards, then students haven't got anywhere to hide, and it's not like, oh miss, you're the only person doing this. If everyone's doing it as a collective team, then actually that's gonna make everyone's life easier, isn't it, and, you know, as, 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 as we go along the year?
1: Absolutely, expectations around the school are going to be the same. We're going to expect silent fo- focus, we're going to expect a good fa- pace, we're going to expect starters. Routines can be slightly different classroom to classroom, but as long as they're meeting those expectations and they know what the expectations are going to be, they're going to fall into those routines easier.
0: Brilliant. Now, picking up on something you said a few minutes ago when you you talked about um, how you wouldn't necessarily single students out for doing things wrong and you would try to kind of model the way that they want to do it and pick up on students when they were doing it right. So that kind of leads me into this next question is that how do you use what we call positive framing to reinforce strong routines rather than singling students out in a negative way who haven't done something uh, in the way that you've expected? Now, interestingly, positive framing is is, is the walkthrough that actually the, the Richmond are doing and then they're trying to look at how they can reframe those. So in terms of routines, for anyone that hasn't really thought about this before, because it's it's interesting that when I was sat in the Richmond walkthrough, we were talking about how you reframe some of the common phrases things that you would say oh boys are you two at the back stop stop talk stop talking and everyone then turns around and looks at those two boys so it gives them so much attention and it's like well how do we then re, re- positively do that in a different way so how would you do that with routines
1: this is something that i've worked really hard on the last couple of years and it's not something that came naturally or i did in my early teaching career um, and it's this idea that i look for the positives so rather than saying so and so you should be reading, you're not reading, and starting off the lesson in quite a negative way, I will stand at the front and I'll say so and so is reading, or even better, I'll count how many students are reading. So I'll walk straight into the classroom after greeting them and I'll say, Oh my goodness, four people have already got their books out on a reading science, absolutely absolutely outstanding. Oh now it's six, now it's eight, and count up. And students soon want to fall into that mm-hmm. number. And you normally get, particularly the students that maybe don't always get that positive praise, will suddenly have their books out and in the air for you to see that they're reading to you, they're reading as well, so that they get that praise, they get um, counted. I'll also say things rather than negatives for anyone not reading, I'll say I'm putting positives on for people that are reading. Mm -hmm. Suddenly there'll be a scramble to get books (laughs) out. Um, Same with anyone who's been quiet when we're silent rather than saying so and so you're talking I'll be like the vast majority of classroom is meeting expectations that's absolutely outstanding so it's about picking up on the people doing things right and hoping the others pick up on that as well normally they do the majority of students when they hear that there's people getting praised for doing something correct will want that praise themselves
0: brilliant and for anyone listening to this I really want to kind of just go back to what you said at the start there uh, of, of that segment that actually That it's not easy though, is it? That this is something that you have clearly um, had to retrain your mind and retrain your your go-to automated kind of sayings and teacher kind of talk to actually get to this because it isn't in our in our normal kind of makeup to do that, we, we would normally, you know, I suppose, I remember somebody said to me, when when you see students running down the corridor, you, you then say, you know, you walk, rather than don't run because students hear the word run, you know, and it's about changing the language, but it's, it, 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 I suppose, the reason why I to pick up on that is that you've obviously deliberately practiced that.
1: Absolutely, it doesn't come naturally. Naturally, you want to fix the incorrect behavior. So your eye is drawn as a teacher to the behavior that is not what should be happening. So you do have to train yourself. Um, and I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting quite good at it, I think. The other thing that I try to avoid doing is saying negative things out loud. So if I can use a silent cue, mm-hmm. so opening my hands to demonstrate that someone should be reading to them or putting my lips to my um, fingers to my lips, I try and go for the silent cues over the physically saying something negative as mm-hmm. well. It doesn't always work, but when it does, it makes a big impact.
0: So on those silent cues, because that's something that's really interesting that actually when you when an inexperienced teacher or a non-teacher who comes into the profession who kind of wants to be a teacher and they they watch somebody they don't see those type of things because actually you don't see the the, the real detail on the craft of a really experienced teacher you just go oh this looks pretty easy but actually you miss all those little kind of intricate details so why do you think some of those non-verbal cues work uh, and, and, and why are they more successful is it because you are not giving people attention, or is, or is it not breaking the silence? Or you know, what is it that you feel it really works? well those things?
1: I think it's a mixture. Sometimes, if it's silent reading, it's not breaking the silence. Students are concentrating. We don't want to distract other students that are currently doing what they're meant to be doing by looking up to see what noise is going on. Um, definitely, the not giving attention out loud has a big impact as well. Um, and obviously, there's a lot to be said for a teacher's glare.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And I, and I think it, it's great that you have, take obviously taken the time yourself over the last few. Months, years, to um, you know, to, to deliberately work on those things because you know that, uh, like I think I mentioned in all three schools at the start of the year, these things make the biggest differences. So we should home in on the things that make the biggest differences and deliberately practice them to get even better at them. Um, mm-hmm. And that's obviously you know what I'm what I'm kind of hearing from you, which is fantastic. Um, so talking about then, you know, you, you, we've talked a little bit about their kind of the open hands and the you know the the, 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 the kind of the, the nonverbal cues, but to, going back to routines. As a classroom teacher, um, what are your favourite kind of must-have routines in your classrooms? What are the things that if, a, if an inexperienced teacher or someone who's kind of wanting to really establish themselves at the start of the year, they listen to this and going, okay, right, well, what, what, what things maybe I might, am I missing from my repertoire of routines? What are your absolute essentials where you think this, this is, these are the things that make my lessons run a lot smoother?
1: Yeah, this is a really interesting question, actually, and I got the opportunity to speak to a few colleagues about this one, because I thought it was such a good one to mm. get some feedback on. Um, and there was quite a good theme throughout, which was really interesting to see, even across different subjects. Um, the majority of us said that the importance of a starter that is in silence in some way mm-hmm. is so beneficial for setting the classroom environment from the get-go and making sure that students are in the right frame of minds. they're comfortable, comfortable. You can be organised. Students can be organised. They're settled to start with, and you're not starting that lesson with a raised voice. You're starting from a point of silence. Students know that the science is com- silence is comfortable in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Which there's nothing worse than having kids fall into a natural silence, and students suddenly being like, "Oh, it's too quiet in here." Mm-hmm. If we've started off silent, we know that silent working is comfortable and beneficial in our classrooms. So personally, for me, my favourite must-have routine is five minutes silent reading at the start of the lesson. Mm-hmm. It improves literacy. It promotes literacy, but it also shows that we are starting off silent, we do know it's important, and we see the value of that silent focus later on in the lesson.
0: Excellent. And playing devil's advocate then, if somebody then said, well, I haven't got time to give over those five minutes, would you say that that, that, that even though you're giving potentially giving over that time uh, and it's not necessarily dedicated to your content, um, would you still say that's, that's really five minutes well spent because it establishes all the other things you want to for the rest of the lesson.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm on an hour a week for lessons, so I understand the importance of the time that we get. And we don't get enough time as subjects often, but because of the setup it gives me, because particularly of the moving around of classrooms last year and still some moving around for teachers this year, those five minutes... The things it instills, I think, is so important. I'm prepared to give over five minutes of those valuable minutes in my lesson.
0: Fantastic. And is that silent reading uh, normally subject-related, or is it, is it kind of anything that they've got with them in terms of their, their kind of normal reading book?
1: It depends on the year group. So Key Stage 3 will be their accelerated reader book. Mm-hmm. Um, core Key Stage 4 will be whatever book they're working on in English at the time. Mm-hmm. And GCSE, they have a booklet with lots of different articles and things put together for them, which is subject-specific and will hopefully improve their knowledge as well.
0: Excellent. So that's your kind of favourite one. You mentioned you'd, you'd support other people as well. So what what other things came through in terms of other routines that you would like throughout that lesson?
1: Very popular shot, um, low-stakes testing, which mm-hmm. is obviously something we also do across the board in Humanities here. Mm-hmm. We've worked hard on that this year. Um, so lots of low-stakes testing happening, some reading in maths, there's numeracy booklets that people are working through in the first five minutes Mm -hmm. so whether it's something up on the board for them to come in and get to straight away whether it's something that's handed to them at the door or something they've already got with them Mm -hmm. it was always about those five minutes of just calm settled
0: entrances to lessons fantastic okay Uh, anything else in terms of mid lessons or end of lessons or or or, or is that really where you kind of focus on the the start of lessons
1: focus on the start but obviously important things came through for must-have routines was the consideration of the pupils so being Mm -hmm. silent when feedback having that respect for all pupils in the classroom and training students to have that respect as well so particularly um stephen jennings in english talked about the ground rules that he lays out and models and expects from our pupils throughout of if someone else is listening now is talking in our subject we are listening we are paying attention we are focused on them
0: excellent and that that brings me to the next bit then i suppose because you talked about the training students Um, and one thing I I was interested to kind of to talk to you about uh, was what your opinion on in terms of are all of your students classroom ready when you pick them up in September now whether that is new year sevens that have come from different primary schools whether it's the fact that students have had you know six weeks off over the summer or have come from different teachers all that kind of stuff so first of all are they all classroom ready
1: absolutely not wouldn't it be dream if they were
0: (laughs) so and i thought that was gonna be the answer so because they're not all classroom ready and certainly everyone is probably listening this nodding along going yeah you know i i'm exactly the same but none of my none of my uh, classroom you know some of my groups aren't some are but you might even find that maybe 90 percent are and 10 percent aren't so we talked about training students what do you do then to make sure that you get them september ready or classroom ready by the end of first week second week third week whenever it is
1: it's all about those routines explaining your routines explaining your expectations as you go through the lesson and keeping up with it as you said some classes if i've taught them the year will come straight into the classroom and 50 percent might get their reading books out because they've remembered that's what they need to do but it's never going to be 100 percent so you go back to the basics with every single student it may mean that you lighten off slightly with some of them sooner classes wise but back to basics Let's remind them what we expect. They've had at least six weeks off. They're probably not going to be quite there straight away. So on at them for the first few weeks. Let's get those routines back in place.
0: And are there any things in terms of thinking about that you find maybe you are harder to reestablish than other things? I mean, things like entering the classroom or putting, you know, keeping hands down for questioning or shouting out or are there anything where like you think I have to do this every single year?
1: Hands down questioning apps every single lesson not just every (laughs) single year it does not matter what how far through the year you are in you are going to have students put their hands up when you started asking questions or say you're going to ask a question because some students love to contribute and love to be heard and obviously it's wonderful to have those students but that is definitely one of the routines that I find I'm constantly reinforcing and constantly reminding them of
0: Okay, and I know we're, we're gonna. I, I want to dive into a little bit of this now because actually, I think it's for me, it's one of the most important skills that we can that we can really master as teachers. And I, I, but I don't want to spend too much time on it because we're not going to talk about questioning. But let's kind of paint the picture that you know, in a classroom now, you're stood at the front, you ask a question, you've told students repeatedly that you're going to have hands down approach, and you're going to pick the students that are going to answer the question because you want to target students, you want to keep them on their toes, all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, And five kids' hands go up like immediately, and they're literally, you know, year seven, so they're they're almost falling out of their chair to kind, you know, they're they're stretching, stretching, and they're almost making noises. And so, how do you then, what do you do in that situation? How do you deal with that, and how do you get past the fact that, you know, that they are that they're so eager, but they're not following your routine?
1: If we've explained the routine to them already, so they're aware what is meant to be happening, and they're not doing it initially, I would just stand with start with a hand signal and often you find if you just put your hand up and lower it down they know what that means they'll often be disgruntled sighs or disappointed gasps <laughs> but normally silent cue or just a very brief we've got the majority of class with their hands down which is perfect cause that's what I said I wanted they're then going to put their hands down because they're the keen ones that want to do well. Yeah, yeah. So they're going to want to yeah. follow your instructions. Yeah. They're just getting a bit ahead of themselves.
0: Great. And it's a great example. You've thrown two examples in one sentence there immediately of the silent cue that you talked about before yeah. and the positive reinforcement of great, we've got lots of hands down. And so straight away demonstrating those those, those positive routines as yeah. well. And the fact that you're going to give attention to the people that are doing it right. Yeah. And not the people that are just going to kind of want to, you know, like I say, stretch their arm, make noises, grunt, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but that, that 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 obviously seems to be one of the ones that we have to keep coming back to. Um, with that, it, you say, whether it's every lesson or every yes, yeah, n- you know, mid lesson as well. So all right, brilliant. Um, right, thinking about then then uh, new classes that you pick up, um, and you know what, and I think we've touched on this a little bit throughout actually in terms of quite a few things. But what are the things that you kind of do or don't do in the first few lessons with a new class?
1: This is another one that I thought was a really good conversation to have with some of my colleagues. So I've I've spoken to some excellent teachers over the last week, which has been really exciting. Um, For me personally, it's about respect for each other and respect for the classroom. So everything I do is about encouraging students to have respect for each other and respect for their learning environments. So the silent reading, that kind of thing. Um, And it's setting those high expectations from day one and consistently. So I was speaking to several of the colleagues and it was always about whatever we do, it's about starting off with those high expectations Mm -hmm. and making sure we maintain them and not letting up. Um, Lots of conversations around the importance of relationships with students, Mm -hmm. knowing their names as quickly as possible, Mm -hmm. um, starting to know what they're interested in, to have those little conversations Mm -hmm. when you can. Because when students feel like they matter, they care a lot more and they want to do well. And if they feel a bit ignored or like they're the one in the class that you don't know the name of, yeah. that can have quite a negative yeah, impact. Yeah,
0: yeah. absolutely.
1: Um, so it's all about those relationships, those high expectations and the importance of respect.
0: Brilliant. I'll, I'll pick up on a couple of things you said there because I, I firmly believe what you've said and it's interesting that I, I often used to get um, uh, inexperienced members of staff or, or trainees talking to me and saying, how do you? How do you? How do the kids like be? Why do the kids behave? For you and how are they silent for you? Or when you walked in the room, was definitely head like. Why do people be quiet for you? And it's it's difficult to kind of explain sometimes because you you don't do anything different in that moment yeah. to what they are doing. However, the things that you just mentioned, they're actually are the things that people don't see that you've done. You haven't learned all their names, you know. You know, so or, or they, they haven't seen you. Should I say they haven't seen you learn all their names? They haven't seen you. The fact that you've spoken to someone in the lunch queue about uh, the fact that you know that they go to watch Middlesbrough Football Club on a weekend, then it's like, oh, did you go to the, up at the weekend? It, it's like you said, finding things out about people, so they suddenly feel like they matter to you, and you matter to them, um, and it's those little things. So I think that you know what you talked about, finding out something about everyone, and being able to talk to people, and being able to not just in the lesson, but when you see them on the corridors, when you see yeah, them around. Absolutely. It's those things that make a big big difference because students who who really um, respect us uh, that they, they, they probably respect us because they feel that they that, that you respect them and you've got me a way to find something out about them like you would said yeah so I think I think that is really really important um, and you mentioned about learning people's names as well I mean wh- have you got a, a golden kind of tip or if you know you've got 28 kids and I mean as an RE teacher and I'm married to an RE teacher so I know this you teach a hell of a lot of students. Yeah. You know, you teach <laughs> like the most students of any subject. So, if you can learn students' names, then everyone can, because uh, you you teach you know far more students than anyone else. So, what's your what's your kind of secret, I suppose, of learning students' names? If there is one,
1: um, I wish there was one for me. I know some. We have some outstanding <coughs> teachers in the school that Anna Cox can learn students' names mm-hmm. amazingly. So, I don't know how she does it. It's absolutely a skill of hers. Um, for me it's seating plans that make the big difference mm-hmm. and it's once they're into a seating plan it's the repetition of handing out the books initially i will be using the seating plan to do that mm-hmm. or i'll get them to call out the name get them to put the hands up but i find it much easier to learn names when they're sat in the same seating plan that i've put them in yeah um, and that helps also me to learn my pupil premium my disadvantage mm-hmm. my send um, i haven't quite picked up any sure tips and I'm sure there are ones out there but yeah it's just sticking with it and consistent and
0: yeah yeah it's not easy going with it no yeah, it's well, not easy at all well, that's it. And, and and but that's come through quite a lot joy the fact that you've, you've talked about constantly and the rigor of it and not backing down and keeping going and keeping going and actually, you know, we said at the start or towards us that the more you put in, the more you get out of it. And, and clearly, that with names and all that kind of stuff and your seating plans, that that works. Just to pick up on seating plans because it's, it's something that we've we're working really hard on uh, and the use of class charts and and, and and how that kind of works certainly here. Um, I know it's stokes that they don't use class charts, but they're using kind of other methods that are similar to like that. So with the same idea in terms of you know setting seating plans, what how do you how do you set your, your, your seat plans? It's interesting, I've got my daughters in uh, year nine at a school uh, in, in Darlington and you know, she comes over. and I kind of quiz her about how their seating plans are set up and oh, you know, the, this teacher said we can sit with our friends if we want to and this and that, so you know, it's, it, I get interesting stories <laughs> from, from, from as a parent point of view as well as a, a school leader. So how would you, you, know, blank canvas, new class, you're about to set your seating plan, what, what would you do? Would you do boy girl? Do you, do you set people premium apart from each other? You know, how, how do you do that?
1: I tend to do boy girl, partly because it's, if I know there's a table there, then it's easier to start learning names if it's two distinct names. Mm -hmm. Um, I will always check the SEND needs. Mm -hmm. So particularly if there's students with hearing impairments, et cetera, they're obviously going to be at the front. So they get priority on those front tables. Um, So SEND tends to be on my front rows, so I can move up and down easier to speak to them um pupil premium I tend to put together to some extent Mm -hmm. just so that I can again give them that extra bit of attention because we know disadvantaged students benefit from that Mm -hmm. um but yeah mainly boy girl SEND definitely at the front where possible
0: so there is a bit of science to it in terms of you know a lot of thought goes into it and it's not just let's see where you want to sit no There's, there's, there's clearly a rationale behind that
1: yeah, it's always about what's going to be best for the students in the classroom
0: brilliant I like the fact that you talk about the, the, the send needs at the front as well uh, for your for ease of getting around and, and speaking to them and, and having that more attention um, so yeah so that's certainly worth thinking about and obviously within things like class charts you can change things quite easily you can yeah. you can adjust things in terms of whether you want groups and people bringing them together or dispersed or behavior interactions all that type of stuff which is great okay right um into the last question now and, and, and I want to pause this because it was it's always interesting to think well now we're you know, kind of 15, 20 years into our career, what are the things that kind of we would have liked to have known on day one? And I remember my day one, I just was, I remember I was so overwhelmed by information. I remember thinking, I'm not sure I can actually compute this much information. <laughs> like, my head's going to explode. Yeah. You know, it was everything from, the you know, the, the rotors to how detentions worked and all that kind of stuff, do you know what I mean? So my, my question, I suppose, is what's the, what's the, the, the one thing you wish you'd known when you first started teaching about relationships, routines, and expectations? that you could now pass on to any new or less experienced teachers?
1: I think for me, what makes my job easier still is that I have the same routines and expectations to support all my classes. Mm-hmm. So all my classes start with those five minutes silent readings. Expectations are they silent when I'm talking? They're silent when other people are talking, and I think if you can maintain that with all your classes, Mm -hmm. that makes it slightly easier. If you know that every single class, no matter who they are, walk into your classroom, have to fulfil these expectations, then it's less to remember, I guess, in the long term when you're being overwhelmed with all this information. Uh, This is another one that I talked to some of my colleagues about, Um, and I use the three two one zero for silence, Mm -hmm. Um, and I was speaking to a science teacher. And she was she highlighted that actually something she wished she'd thought about or could tell new starters is that if you're doing practical subjects, maybe three, two, one is not the best option. Because Mm -hmm. if they're going around doing a science lesson, then they may. It's not as easy to hear. So she talked about the importance of a practical or one that doesn't include your voice for silent cue so she claps for example if they're doing practical but then camps down if they're not um so lots of good advice there there's always if something doesn't quite work for you that is working for other teachers it doesn't mean that that expectation can't be met Mm -hmm. it just means you maybe need to explore different ways of getting there and it working for you Mm -hmm. so you can have your same expectations and adjust the
0: routines excellent it was interesting you mentioned there about how it 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 lessens, I suppose. I don't. You didn't use the words cognitive load, but it lessens their, yeah. You know their kind of brain power exactly, at that point. Yeah. And actually, if we can then start to automate some of those things, we can then reduce the load that students have in terms of learning a new routine, or you having to explain what it is. They're already in, in kind of habits of that. And, yeah. and when we can get into habits, we know in our own personal lives that habits make things easier. And if you think about, and I mentioned this on the the, the PD day, if you're driving a car. You don't think now about how to drive, or most of us, I imagine, don't anymore because it's just completely second nature. So you can then use the, the rest of your brain power to be thinking about a whole host of other things yeah. as you're driving home tonight and thinking, oh, you're not thinking about indicators and lanes and everything else. You know, it, it's it's part of the automated process. So if we can do that with students as well, um, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to save that brain power and then you yeah. can tap into that brain power for far more other things rather than them having to actually spend you 80% of their kind of brain power thinking about what they have to do at the start of the lesson and why. Yeah, so, absolutely.
1: And I think that was, so I did some training of this, obviously in North Elton on the PD days and it had been so long since I'd had to do this that I'd almost forgotten half the stuff I did. So it's quite nice doing the podcast now mm-hmm. when I've actually been back yeah, in the classroom yeah. and I can start thinking again about, rather than it just being second nature, actually, no, I do do this, I do this, we need to do this.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned a oh, uh, midway through actually that and when we were talking about positive framing that you've actually you've had to kind of get better at it or 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 get really good at it and you've actually you know i mentioned you've been deliberately practicing it so if you go back in like time travel back to the start of your kind of teaching career do you think now that what you're doing now those routines and the positive framing and the silent cues and all those things do you think they are having a significantly better impact on your teaching and and is your are, are your outcomes and your general teaching ability is that improved and reflected because of those things that you have now worked really hard to establish.
1: Absolutely, I'm confident now that the classroom environment I've built is a better one for all my students. That the silent start to the lessons, the comfort, the security that I've got there and the positivity. It. There's so many classes where it's so easy to become bogged down in negativity and the classes feel it and students just become despondent. That positivity makes such a big impact.
0: Brilliant. And and we mentioned there, we've we've talked about the silent starts in terms of for all the lessons. Do you find there's any difference um, as an experienced teacher now in terms of the time of day or even the day of the week or even the time of the day on the day of the week that you adjust some of those starters even more or, or, or you know, in terms of whether it's after lunch or in the morning or a Monday or a Friday. Are there any things that you've now picked up as an experienced pair of eyes that maybe you can kind of you know, give to other people?
1: Yeah, there's definitely sometimes, particularly Key Stage 3 after lunch, where they just need a couple of minutes longer yep. to calm down, their body temperature to regulate because they've been running around playing football, yep. they've come in, they're hot, they're bothered. They maybe just need a couple more minutes to just... Read, chill out, calm down, and get into the classroom mindset.
0: Great. So even though you have those kind of those five minutes, actually you're still being flexible around Absolutely. knowing and understanding your context, understanding the time of the day, understanding what group are coming to you, where they've come from, whether it's on the field or PE or wherever it is, and, and thinking, I know this, and I need to just slightly tweak this yeah. to make it a bit more effective. I'm going to get
1: more out of them during the lesson. If I give them an extra three minutes now, I'm going to spend that time we've got more productivity in the lesson if I give that time over now
0: fantastic brilliant well that's come to the the end of the the end of our kind of uh, planned questions I just want to say it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about teaching learning um, and getting our heads back into the expectations the positive framing um, and and the routines that we expect from our students and it's been great to hear from you from a really experienced classroom practitioner who's talking about um, how you've not only just always had this at your repertoire, but how you've deliberately practiced it, how you've wanted to be better at it, and how you've really understood that these things are some of the things that are going to make the biggest differences. Therefore, that's where you need to spend your energy as a teacher. Um, and the benefits you get from that have, have been clearly outlined with this. So I just want to say a huge thank you. Thanks for being the first in-person guest <laughs> as well of the podcast, which has been brilliant. Um, and it feels a lot more real speaking to someone across a desk than, than, than across the airwaves. So yeah, I, I, a huge thank you. And a thank you to all the staff that you spoke to as well. Uh, that have given you some kind of insight in that and I and um, you know I hope people you know lots of people whether you are uh, a trainee an NQT an experienced head of department wherever you are a school leader that you are going to be able to kind of take something from this cuz I think there's been some some real golden nuggets in there so yeah thank you once again George it's been a pleasure
1: thank you for having me and just to echo thank you for those colleagues whose brain I picked over the last week because it was really interesting to have those conversations
0: thanks for listening to the ALT learn podcast We'll be back soon with another episode where we'll be speaking to more of our teachers and finding out how they're turning theory into practice. Until then, take care.